hey, before we even start, I never point out guests who aren't related to me. <laughs> but if they're related, it's free game. So I just want to highlight my sister, Deanna, brother-in-law Darcy are here today. And I'm very happy they came down just for the weekend to see us with their grandson, Kai, who's off enjoying our children's programs. And I'm just uh, thankful to have them here today. And I don't normally highlight birthdays either, but I think it's Darcy's birthday today, too. (laughs) He is getting old. All right. Hey, (laughs) we are in uh, into a series now where a whole bunch of us are reading through the New Testament together over the next couple months. And we've been going through it together. And when we're, we're, we're joining together in this community Bible experience, um, where we're gathering in connect groups to discuss what we're learning, maybe what's bothering us, maybe what struck us, and, and we're traveling through this together. And so then what we're doing, of course, is when we gather on Sundays, is we're kind of drawing from those same, uh, that same group of, of passages or books or texts that we read during the week to then share out of how God is moving us, or particularly how God, I guess, is moving me as, I, as I've reflected on, on this. But in light of Hope Sunday, I, I was reflecting as well as I was reading through this on, on giving, on generosity, on what it means for us to be part of you know, bringing transformation in others' lives, particularly through our financial giving. And so I want to take some time this morning to reflect on generosity, specifically how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and actually makes us more generous as people. And as I reflected on this and prayed on this, the Holy Spirit really drew me to this passage in 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul was talking to a group of Christians, but in particular, he was talking to them about how another community gave. He's talking about their generosity, and he's challenging them with their example. There's a lot of meat in these kind of 15 verses, so what I did today is I I have it printed out, in, your, in one of your inserts, uh, in your bulletin, the, the text of, of 2 Corinthians 8 is there. It's about halfway down page 147 of your books of the Bible, if you have that, that, that New Testament that we're reading through. And what we're going to do is explore nine ways that generous givers see giving differently. And some of those are going to be ways that Jesus has been growing in your hearts. You're going to see yourself in it. And then there's probably going to be other things that come out in this that that are going to challenge you. And we're going to be watching for both of those as we dig in. So on your insert, there's scriptures there on the backside. I've I've given you an opportunity to write down the nine ways that we're going to look at. But as we dig into that this morning, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that it's your generous heart that enables us to to even consider being givers. It's because of you and what you've done for us and in us that we are able to live generously. And so today, as we reflect on your word, as we, as we listen, as we open our hearts to you and what you are saying, I pray that you would create in us change and movement, that you would move our hearts toward greater degrees of generosity, that that would bring glory to you and that that would bring transformation into others' lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, follow along with me as I read this passage for us out of 2 Corinthians 8. Here it is. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that, that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's another group of churches away from where they are. In the midst of a very severe trial, 
their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, to one who gathered much, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Well, there is a lot in this passage. So let's just walk through it together and identify nine ways that generous givers see giving differently. The first thing really stands out to me. Back up at the start, we see that generous givers see giving as an opportunity for everyone regardless of their wealth or their poverty. Did you hear that? In the midst, talking about these Macedonian Christians, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and and then what comes next, it just, really, you've got to listen to it. It's like an oxymoron. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Did you hear that? (laughs) Extreme poverty. What? Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They did not see their poverty as an excuse for lack of generosity, for not giving, for not getting in on what God was doing. And we learn that generosity doesn't depend on wealth, does it? We know that's true. I've known people who have lived and give generously, who've had almost nothing to give financially. I've known people who have taken extra jobs just so that they can have money to give away. I've also known people who have bought extra businesses so they could have money, more money to give away, both sides of that. I've known people who have sold their stuff, who have rearranged their lives so they can live more generously as they've caught a vision of what God wants to do. And they want to give more of their time and their finances. And I'm thankful for those people who've used their expertise, their energy, their minds, their hearts, their hands in creative ways to get in on the work of Jesus 
They haven't seen their lack as a barrier. They've just seen it as a challenge to get more creative. You know, I experienced this really early in life. When I was 16, I felt a very strong call to missions through my teenage years and a call to follow God. And I, and I, I, I um, had an opportunity to go to the country of Haiti for a number of months to do mission work. And when uh, my home community was always very supportive, got wind of this, there was one particular young single mom, First Nations mom, who came to me and said, I really believe God wants me to pay for your plane ticket. And over the next seven or eight months, she scrimped and saved. She worked extra hours. She did odd jobs. And she would literally come like every week to church and give me 20 bucks, 50 bucks, sometimes a couple hundred bucks. And over seven or eight months, she paid for my plane ticket, which was about $900, to go to Haiti to do the work that God had called me to do as I was 16 at the time. I was 17 when I was there. That was deeply humbling for me, you understand. It was also a lesson for me early on that generosity does not depend upon wealth, that it's not the full bank account that brings about generosity, but a full heart. I think you've probably seen that too. Never use your wealth or your poverty as an excuse not to give. This is what we see in how generous givers see money. Well, that's the first way. Second way that generous givers see giving is they see it as a privilege, whereas others can see it as a pain. It says, Paul said, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. Remember, these are the poor. These are the people with extreme poverty under severe trial. They urgently pleaded with us, listen, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. This really stands out to me. The generous givers, they don't feel the kind of pain that some of us feel when they give. Even when they give in a sacrificial way, it it feels like they just don't see it the same way. They don't view their giving from the debit side of their account. They don't look at the giving that they're doing and see it as a loss. or, or, Or now I have less than. They just don't even think of it that way. But generous givers, it's like they just look over and they see the gain. They see what it can do. They see the way it can multiply. They, they see the lives that can be impacted. They don't see their giving as a subtraction. They see it as an addition or even as a multiplication. They're so caught up with the impact that they can make through their giving that they don't even really think about the hit that they might be taking personally. Why? Because giving to the work of the kingdom of Jesus in people's lives is a privilege. Because when we realize that we can give our paltry money and it actually can result in lives being transformed and families being pulled out of poverty and people finding and following Jesus, when we begin to realize that our few bucks can actually do that, we realize it is a privilege, it's an honor to get in on what Jesus is doing. And that's what I see when I see generous givers. They see their giving as a privilege. My parents were great examples of that. They've always been very generous. And I remember as a little boy one time, we were driving by and they noticed a church was building a new building in a place there hadn't been a church before. My dad stopped and gave money to this building fund. This was not our church. This was not a church connected with us. It was from a different denomination. And I remember as a little boy watching my dad do that. 
Not as a show, not just as, because he wanted to get in on what God was doing in that community. And that church still stands and worships today in that community, bringing the good news of Jesus to that area. It's a privilege to get in on what God is doing. The, the third way that generous givers see giving differently is they see it as worship first and serving or helping second. Listen, it says, Paul said, uh, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. I think this is really important. The generous givers see their resources, whether it be small, you know, the one talent as it were, or whether it be large, they see it as resources that God has entrusted them with to maximize for impact. That's how they see it. They see it as resources given to them that they can then, through the creativity and through, through strategic ways, and they can actually offer it back to God as a way of giving him glory, a way of raising him up. Generous givers give as a way of bringing glory to God giving thanks to him for his provision, but also giving thanks to him for the ways that he's actually bringing change and transformation in people's lives. And there's an order of priority here that I think is crucial because when we get it backwards, I think we get off the tracks. When we see our giving as worship first, that it's God to whom we give, then when our giving goes to serve others, it flows from our worship. This saves us from burning out. It saves us from from demanding too much of the gift that we're giving. I think it saves us from being disillusioned. I also think for maybe it saves us from being a little too focused on our own giving, if you know what I'm saying. When we realize we've given it to God, we've given it as an expression of worship, we've truly let it go. That doesn't mean we aren't wise with our giving, but we remember the order of priority. We're giving to worship So that when we give to others, when we give to the church, when we give to the Congo, what we're giving is first and foremost an expression of worship to God who is worthy of everything we can give, worthy of everything we can offer. And that amazingly through that worship, God uses it to serve, to meet needs, to change lives. The fourth way the generous givers see giving differently is they see it as a way of excelling in faith and in discipleship. Listen to this. Since you excel in everything, Paul says to these Corinthian Christians, in in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel in this grace of giving? Have you ever thought about that? Like, has that ever, have you ever thought about the fact that you can get really good at giving you can be excellent at it you can excel as a giver i I, I gotta be honest i don't think that one crosses my mind very much and yet here paul is challenging them to grow as givers i know when i see generous givers who are really in the zone who are really thrilled with the partnership, really thrilled with what Jesus is doing, really thrilled with the opportunity to get in, they are people who are excellent at giving. Not arrogant, not prideful, excellent at it. They love to do it, and they do it well. And it gives me hope. This little, this little verse gives me hope. It gives me hope because it tells me that I can grow as a giver. Like, I can... He's challenging them to excel at it. Right? He's challenging them to get better at it, just as they've been getting better at, 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 at other things. And I realize in there that, 
Well, I can do that too. We can do that. We can actually grow as givers. We can become more excellent in our giving. Individually, as a church. But I realized something when I read this, that there is something in here about to really be excellent at it. We also, at times, need to be challenged. That's actually what Paul's doing here when he writes to them. He's challenging them to be excellent at giving. He also said he's, he sent Titus back to help them you know, finish what they started. And I realized in this, kind of like a coach in athletics or in a, in a team, that if you don't have a coach, you can never really achieve everything that you would be able to achieve. We know this is true of the Olympics. This is true in lots of areas in our life, right? It's that the presence of someone who's there, able to challenge us, able to point out ways that our stride is off, able to, to show us a, a new way of, of going or exploring that really enables us to, to grow, to become better than we ever could have been on our own. And it points out the presence or the need for us to really be excellent at giving. We need challenge. We need encouragement. We even need leadership. Let's be honest. We even need mornings like this where we actually talk about giving and receive a challenge about it so that we can become excellent at giving. Well, the fifth way that generous givers see giving differently is they see it as an expression of sincere love. When Paul was challenging these Corinthians to really follow through and step it up and be part of of, of what God was doing, he actually links the generosity of their giving with the sincerity of their love. And I know that can be a bit painful for us, but isn't it true? Isn't it true that, you know, can we really say that we love the people who are far away from Jesus in our community if we never actually put boots on the ground? give money to see that people far away from Jesus are reached? Can we really say that we, we, we love and are concerned for people who are, who are, you know, eking out an existence in poverty if we never actually open up our walls to be part of that? The reality is our giving does test our love. It's a measurement, as it were, of whether we love or not. And generous givers, what I have noticed and what I see in scriptures is that generous givers show that every minute they're giving, whether they're giving financially, whether they're giving of their time, their energy, their minds, their prayers, they're giving because they love. They love what God is doing. They love the the fact that the Father is concerned. They, They love the people or the organizations or the change that's being made. Their generosity flows from their love. The sixth way generous givers see giving differently is You see, giving as a grateful imitation of Christ. Generous givers imitate the generosity of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. We give, generous givers give from thankful hearts for Jesus. And they imitate his way of making himself poor, as it were, so that he could make others rich. Now, this is where the whole sermon, we could just camp right here for a long time. We are not going to. This is so significant because generous givers model the 
generous giver. When we really get to understand and know Jesus, how, how, how rich and how powerful and how comfortable and how everything was fine as he enjoyed this perfect relationship with the Father and with the Spirit, and yet he forsook it all for us. He left it all, coming down, becoming one of us, so that we could be pulled out of the muck, so that we could be brought back into the family, so that we could be given all the riches of grace and freedom and healing and power. And then he calls us as his people who've been brought into the family to then follow him in doing the same for others. When we really realize what Jesus has done for us and how his generosity has transformed us, everything about our own lives can change. We follow the generous giver. And as we follow him, he creates in us hearts, generous hearts, just like his. Our generation is a pale, our gen, uh, generosity is a pale reflection of his generosity, but it is a reflection. People do experience his grace through our generosity. We imitate him. The seventh way that generous givers see giving differently is they see it as a long-term commitment. They finish what they started. Here's the reality. A lot of times we can make generous commitments in the heat of the emotional moment, right? Even this morning. You make a generous commitment. Your, your heart can be pulled. Your mind can be changed. You can sign on. Yes, we're going to do it. Only to falter later. We've seen this worldwide. When, when, when a tremendous tragedy strikes, hate comes to mind immediately. And all the nations of the world make these incredibly generous promises. And very, very little of it ever actually goes there. Paul, when he's talking to these Corinthians, he challenges them to be the kind of generous givers that follow through on their commitments long after the emotion of the moment has passed. Paul tells them to finish the work so that the eagerness, your eager willingness to do it, this is back a while, right? When they were like, oh yeah, let's do it. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Generous givers aren't flashing the pan. They see a need. They reflect on it. They research. They pray. They talk about it in their community. They make a decision and then they follow through with that through consistent and faithful giving. This covers everything from commitments that you've made to this community to Congo sponsorships like we're highlighting this morning great examples of how we commit to monthly support in, in, the, in the sponsorship case we commit to the kind of the uh, raising up of this child to adulthood and we provide consistent monthly support that brings transformation not only to them but to the whole community we follow through with what we started that's what generous givers do the eighth way that generous givers see giving differently is they see it as a gift of grace not an obligation of guilt. The reality of us, a lot of us feel guilty about giving. We feel guilty about this whole conversation. Even talking about this morning makes you feel guilty. We feel guilty about what we spend our money on. We feel guilty about maybe trouble we got into due to poor financial decisions. Or, as we start to feel guilty, we immediately feel defensive. Defensive about our giving. Defensive about our lack of giving. 
Here's the thing that really stands out to me about generous givers. They don't give because they feel guilty. Guilt just doesn't factor into their generosity. Guilt doesn't have any hold on them. And what we hear from Paul here kind of confirms that this is true, that our gifts given generously, regardless of the size and the amount, are seen by God as a wonderful gift of worship. Remember the famous story that Jesus told? He's sitting out in front of the temple watching people give their offerings. Which, by the way, just on a side note, can I just say, how uncomfortable would we feel if Jesus was sitting right there watching us give our offerings? Anyway, so Jesus is, is, is watching people give their offerings. And there's people who are like chunking up the change, right? Big bags of gold are being dumped in slowly into the coffers. Clank, 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 right? And everybody's pretty impressed. I mean, these are wealthy givers. These are amazing givers. And then, of course, along comes a widow who's impoverished. And she shells out two small coins, which are just virtually nothing. And Jesus says, look at that woman. She has given more than all the rest of them. Why? Because she gave, out of her poverty, all that she had to live on. The generosity that Jesus saw in her. He says, look at her. Her gift is the gift I'm looking for. Not motivated by guilt. Not motivated by, by, by oh my goodness, God's going to think. Not that. But of a desire to see God worship. And this is kind of similar, or we, you know, similar to what we said a little earlier, um, where generosity doesn't depend on wealth. But, but here, I think it's just different because it's seeing how God doesn't view our giving through what we don't have. He accepts it, as we read, according to what one has. Not according to what one does not have. We realize that God views our generosity from a heart level. He views our generosity according to what he has given us. And as a result, we don't need to give out of a place of guilt. We can give out of a place of grace. And that's what I see in generous givers. The ninth way that generous givers see giving differently is they see giving as a way that God blesses others and as a way we get blessed in return. Paul really brings it home here at the end. He says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. True generosity, the kind of generosity that God grows in us and calls us into, brings equality, not poverty to one side or the other. God is not asking us to give to the point where we ourselves are impoverished. God is asking us to live and give generously, which for the vast majority of us does mean living on less. But God asks us to live and give generously so that others can flourish and in turn live and give generously. And what we have seen all over as, we've, as we have given, as we've given as a whole church, as we've given individually, is that when we give into a place of need, the blessing we receive back, the blessing of knowing that we're part of what God is doing, the, the blessing we, we, under, we uh, receive of knowing that there's a purpose for us that goes beyond just making a few bucks, we realize that God is up to something bigger than we could have imagined. When we give generously to others who are in poverty, we experience a blessing in return, God honors us. God increases our faith. God increases our impact. God shows us that we have a purpose greater than we could have ever imagined.
when I think of this blessing that we receive, I don't think there's a better way of, of, of showing the way that we bless others and the way that we receive blessing back than showing another video uh, from Covenant Kids Congo. It's a recent video from a pastor uh, who he and his church have been a, a big part in the Congo. And uh, he just shares, and I want you to hear, as you hear this video, not only the ways that uh, we are as a whole church, and he's sharing that with us, uh, being a blessing to them, but also hear in him the kind of blessing that he is receiving as he is part uh, of this generous work of God. Go ahead. Gemina is a city in the Democratic Republic of Congo that is experiencing truly wonderful transformation through your faithfulness to Covenant Kids Congo, powered by World Vision. Greg Krieger is the pastor of Rock Harbor Covenant Church in Rockland, California. Greg, his wife Sharon, and Greg's church have invested deeply in God's work in Congo through both Covenant Kids Congo and other covenant ministries serving in Congo. This is Greg's experience of the fruit of the partnership with the wonderful people of Congo that we call Covenant Kids Congo. Good morning. Here we are, last day uh, in Gemini on the way out. What a week it's been. Hey, I've seen a lot this week. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, agricultural groups and savings groups of women who've been empowered and are leading their families and transforming the communities. I've seen what they can do with buying a pig, which turns into buying a bike, which turns into buying a roof for their homes and caring for their families. Uh, I've seen our, our schools everywhere along the way um, reaching hundreds and thousands of children. Uh, I've seen teachers uh, being taught by others, programs being instituted to help continue to improve the education and the health care, helping families learn how to care for for themselves, have healthy diets, um, and and, and beat this thing called malnutrition. I've seen the difference our support is making on the ground. First day we were here in Congo, I had an opportunity to meet with my sponsored child, Dawili. I wish I could say it was all fun and love and smiles, but it was hard. It was hard to see how small my eight-year-old young friend actually is. It was hard to see that his twin sister was of the same size. Over these last three years, I've come to love Dawili. I've come to know his story. But on this trip, I was able to enter into his world in a way like never before. It's not an easy world. It's a hard world. But it's a world where God is on the move. He's writing his story into their lives. What a privilege it is for us to be a part of that story. For those of you that are already supporting Covenant Kids Congo through World Vision, hey, keep it up. We, we, we are we off to a great start. We just have to keep pressing, pressing on. And, and for those who aren't yet there, hey, I, I just want to challenge you. Why not? What does that mean? That means some of us who are already on board, hey, we're probably positioned to take on a little more. For some of us that are wondering if, if this is where God is calling you, I would just say, unless God says he's not, if your last name says Evangelical Covenant Church, God is calling you. This, these are our people. Uh, it's our, our shared denomination. It's our sisters across the sea. Let's care for them. Uh, let's reach the goal. Let's help transform Congo. Let me ask you, of these nine ways 
that generous givers see giving differently? Which one encourages you the most? Which, which one, when you read it, you thought, yes, that's an area in my life where I feel like I'm beginning to grow in? Maybe you want to put a star beside that if you, if you wrote out the nine ways. Put a star beside it. Say, I'm thankful for the way that God is growing in me a generous heart. That I'm beginning to see my giving differently as a result of what God is doing in me. And can you see in these, one of these nine ways, perhaps, an area that you feel challenged by it? An area that maybe gets you a little bit or you realize, oh, I've got, I've got some growing to do. Can you maybe circle that? I want to ask you this morning as we consider the generosity of, of Jesus and the generosity that he has called us to. And how many of us here this morning would say, I want to grow in my generosity. Like I realize that, and we're all in different spots, and lots of us have just been amazing and growing in generosity. And some of us are just beginning that journey. I understand that. But from where you are today, how many of you would say, I want to grow in generosity. I want you, God, to shape in me a more generous heart. How many of you would be willing to say that this morning? I'm going to ask you if you would raise your hand. If you're willing to say, God, I want you to make me a more generous giver. I want you to do something in me that creates more generosity as a follower of yours. If you would just raise your hand high, and I'm going to pray for you. Raise your hands high. Good. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would create in us a generosity that overflows. You've seen us as we've expressed our desire to become more generous as your people. And I ask that you would you would work in us, that there are areas where we need to be challenged, we would bring that to you and we would let you, Holy Spirit, work in us, reveal to us what's holding us back and help us excel in this grace of giving. I also pray for deep encouragement that as we've seen your work in our lives, as we've seen the ways you're creating generosity in us, we would just feel just excited and joyful about this privilege of sharing in your work in others' lives. I pray that you would create in us generous hearts as families, as men and as women. I pray that we would see the resources you've given us, the the time, the energy, the talent, and yes, the finances, that you would help us see that in a fresh way in light of what you are calling us to do, how you are calling us to give into your work. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would create in us as a church a new and fresh and alive generosity. That here at the Erickson Covenant Church, you would grow our generosity. That we would become increasingly a congregation who gives, who partners, who worships, who brings glory to you through generous, open-hearted giving. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning to take a concrete step toward generosity. It's pretty obvious this morning what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to ask you to go and check out the sponsorship table first off. Some of you already sponsored kids, uh, maybe through World Vision, maybe through Compassion. That's awesome. Some of you, as he said, could take on another one. Some of you have never sponsored a child before. I want to encourage you to go to the table and talk to Jody and Tennille. Hey, and they lived in the Congo for a couple of years along with Marvin and Darlene uh, in a similar area. 
Big Seal said they arrived in Gemini, didn't you? And, uh, and so uh, they're going to be manning the, the uh, sponsorship table and are able to sign you up today for one of the, these children from the Congo to be part of, immediately part of, leaving the service today, being part of what God is doing in the Congo. So I want to challenge you on that. I also want to challenge you um, to, to consider perhaps a, a special donation to the Kernels of Hope Project in, in the Congo as well, which really amplifies food security and some amazing work that's going on there that I hope over the next few years we'll hear even more about. And I want to challenge you to invite some people this week to come out to the concert on Friday evening to be part of some great music, but also to hear more and increase the level of influence and impact we can have um, through our generous giving. I want you to imagine the kind of impact that we can have as we become more generous. I want you to imagine for a moment the families and the lives that literally the trajectory of their lives and the generations to come can be altered through our generosity. And if that doesn't give you tingles, I don't know what would. This is true here in this valley as we give and live generously, helping people find and follow Jesus. That whole families, men and women, trajectories changing through our generosity as the Holy Spirit works. But also in this partnership with the Congo. Just imagine the difference it makes. Men and women and children. As we, through generous hearts, as the Holy Spirit works in us, partner with what God is doing. It's truly amazing what God wants to do. Let me close our time in prayer. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we have to partner with you. As we leave here today, I pray that you would just enrich our hearts and minds with all that you are doing in us and through us. For those of us who leave today challenged, maybe some of us who leave today upset, I pray that you would just follow us in that. You wouldn't let us go. For those of us ready to respond this morning, I pray that we would just be open to all that you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we have coffee time, and uh, during coffee time, of course, check out the sponsorship table and connect. Also, keep in mind uh, uh, in your prayers this afternoon, our youth are coming back from Calgary. A bunch of our youth, I should say, are coming back from Calgary this afternoon. Pray for safe travels and safe weather, uh, good weather as they, as they return home, excited with what they have heard and what God has done in them this, this, uh, this weekend. And then uh, this week, be praying, looking forward to the concert on, on Friday evening. God bless. Enjoy the coffee.